you brought your copy of God's Word, please turn to Luke chapter 4. Luke chapter 4. I want us to look at verse 16 uh, through verse 21. Luke chapter 4. Speak to you in sermon of this entitled, The Mission of Jesus. Luke chapter 4, verse 16. Speaking of Jesus. And he came to Nazareth where he had been brought up. And as his custom was, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and he stood up to read. And there was delivered unto him the book of the prophet Isaiah. And when he had opened the book, he found the place where it was written. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he hath anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He hath sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives, and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty them that are bruised, to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. And he closed the book, and he gave it again to the minister. And he sat down, and the eyes of all them that were in the synagogue were fastened on him. And he began to say unto them, This day is the scripture fulfilled in your ears. In Luke chapter 4, verses 1 through 15, we have the details on how Jesus was tempted by the devil in the wilderness. And now in verse 16 through 21, Jesus explains his mission as the Messiah. First of all, notice that there was a custom prior to his mission found in verse 16. Look at that, if you will. And he came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up. And as his custom was, it was a custom before his mission, he went into synagogue, the synagogue on the Sabbath day, and he stood up to read. And so Jesus had a custom, his custom, his habit. His habit was that he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath. It was his custom. Every Sabbath he would go to the synagogue. Now the synagogue was one of the most important institutions for the Jews in time of the Lord. Uh, If you remember, while in exile, they had no place to worship. Therefore, the synagogues were built for the purpose of allowing God's people to have a place for religious events, for them to come together for religious festivities, for religious events. And after the temple was rebuilt, some synagogues remained. If your town, your location had at least ten families, you were able to maintain the synagogue. And when the synagogues were built, each synagogue had a leader appointed. And people would come to the synagogue. And the leader would stand and they would read the scripture. And they would come in on the scripture. And they would teach the word of God. And they would read the scripture. They'd teach the scripture. And then they would would pray. But today we don't have a synagogue. We come to the church building. 
We, God's people, we don't have the synagogue because we have this church building. A church building, a place where, where the church baptized believers of Jesus Christ. Those who follow the Lord Jesus. The church, the ecclesia, the called out ones come together to meet on a regular basis for Bible study and for worship, for prayer, for fellowship. And it's good for God's people to come together. We come together on the first day of the week. We come for Bible study, for worship, for prayer, for fellowship. We're reminded in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 25, that Scripture admonishes us not to forsake the assembling of ourselves. The word forsake there means to leave. Uh, not to forsake or leave the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhort one another. The word exhort means to comfort one another. We're here for many purposes. One reason, one purpose is to exhort one another, to comfort one another. So we're to come together to pray and to study God's Word, to hear God's Word, to have fellowship, and then to comfort one another, to encourage one, uh, one another. I receive encouragement when I come to church. I'm sure you do too, to some degree. So we're to come together more and more as we see the day approaching. Not less and less, but more and more. What day? The day of the return of the Lord Jesus. And so as we sense in our spirit that it's not going to be long until the Lord Jesus comes back, we need to see each other more and more and more Study more and more, read more and more, pray more and more, comfort each other more and more as we see the day approaching. Now, we don't know much about the childhood of Jesus. That's referred to by most theologians as the silent years. We don't know. We, we pick up Jesus when he was about uh, 12 years old. We don't know much about his childhood. But we do know one thing, that on the Sabbath he had a custom going to the Lord's house to hear the Scripture, to read the Scripture, to study, and to pray. Now, he went at the appointed place for worship. And so there is a custom prior to his ministry. But notice something else. Not only is there a custom prior to his mission, there is a there is a, a message. Look at verse 17 as a message. He stood up to read in verse 16. And there was delivered unto him the book of the prophet Isaiah, or Isaiah. And when he opened the book, he found the place where it is written. So he's quoting here in the New Testament. He's quoting the Old Testament in the book of Isaiah. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. Because he hath anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He hath sent me to heal the brokenhearted. To preach deliverance to the captives. The recovering of sight to the blind. To set at liberty to them that are bruised. And to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. So he stood up to read. Now, the synagogue official the person that was appointed the leader of the synagogue, 
normally would read the scripture. But in some instances, this official would, the person who directed the service, the worship leader, Brother Terry, the worship leader, he would, uh, at times, he would ask a guest to read the scripture and, and to make comments on the scripture. And so Jesus was from that town. He was from Nazareth. He was a local boy there, and they all knew him. And so he's in the synagogue. He was a very popular person at this time. And so they asked him to stand and read. And he read Isaiah 61, 1 and 2. And then he concluded with the meaning. Now, the conclusion is found in verse 21. When he said this, he began to say unto them, This day is the scripture fulfilled in your ears. Everything that I've read in verse 17 and 18 has been fulfilled right now in your ears. While I'm speaking to you, I'm reading about myself. All of this has been fulfilled in me. So he brings about a conclusion. In essence, he was saying, this is my mission. Verse 18. Now notice what his mission was. The first was, he was to preach the gospel to the poor. Now, they'd been in exile. Remember, he's speaking to the Jew. He'd been in exile for a number of years. Been in captivity. Remember, the Jews were carried in uh, captivity into Babylon. Jerusalem was destroyed, and all the well, majority of the people were carried into captivity in Babylon. Their homes were taken away. Their land was taken away. Their crops were destroyed. They were destitute. They were poor. Their past life had been sad. Their present life they were living in was pretty gloomy. And their future life looked pretty dark. They were poor. And he said, I've got some good news for the poor. I came to cure you. I came to help you. Now, you may not have money. You may not have money for your rent. You may not have rent money. You may not have food money. You may not have clothing money. But God cares for you. And the same it is today. You may not have rent money. You may not have food money. You may not have clothing money. But never forget that God cares for you and has promised to provide for you. If you will accept His Son Jesus to be your Lord and your Savior... You won't have to beg for food. You won't have to beg for rent. You won't have to beg for clothing. You won't have to go from place to place seeking to be able to provide those things. Matthew chapter 6, verse 25. Listen to what he says. Jesus speaking again. He says, therefore, in verse 25, I say unto you, take no thought of your life, what you shall eat, what you shall drink, nor for your body. What you shall put on is not the life more than meat, the body more than raiment. Behold the fowls of the air, for they sow not, neither do they reap not, uh, nor gather into their barns, yet your heavenly Father feedeth them. Are ye not much better than they? Which of you by taking thought can add a, a cubic to his statue? Just worrying about things. Will that make you grow taller? You can't even grow just an inch. To, you can't even grow an inch in your statue. Now that helps. 
Verse 28, Why take ye thought for raiment? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They toil not, neither do they spin. And yet I say unto you that even Solomon in all of his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Verse 30, Wherefore, if God so clothed the grass of the field, which is today, and tomorrow is cast into the oven, shall he not much more clothe you, O ye of little faith? Therefore, take no thought, saying, What shall I eat? What shall we drink? Whether all shall we be clothed? For after all these things do the Gentiles seek, but your heavenly Father knoweth that you have need of all of these things. But seek ye first. Here's the key. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. All these things shall be added unto you, provided for you. Take therefore no thought for tomorrow, for tomorrow shall take thought of the things of itself, sufficient unto the day is the evil thereof. And so if you put Christ first, you seek after His righteousness by personal testimony, He'll take care of you. But seek Him first. He'll provide for your needs. Now sometimes He provides for our needs and we take our need money and we spend it on our wants. And then we can't figure out why we can't meet our needs. But He'll take care of you if you put Him first in your life because He cares for you. So He came to preach to the poor. Not only did He come to preach to the poor, but notice He says, He sent me to heal the brokenhearted. This past Friday, we conducted the funeral of Brother, uh, Brother Charles Messer, a very dear friend. I missed him just a few minutes ago because he always came down, shook hands with me, and then he would stand there and sing as the choir finished coming down. I miss him already here this morning. A few minutes ago, Terry, he said that was a good one. That's what he would have said. And then yesterday, I went to the visitation of another friend, and all the deaths... We know that there's brokenheartedness. However, the scripture here is not referring to death. The scripture, when he's come to preach to the brokenhearted, to heal the brokenhearted, he's speaking about those who have been brokenhearted because of their life. You ever wept over your life? Have you ever just got in a corner somewhere and cried and said, Oh, God, I've messed up my life. What am I going to do? Have you ever laid awake at night crying and sobbing because of a poor choice or the wrong decision and you think my life's all messed up? It's over with. I don't know what I'm going to do. Jesus came to heal your broken heart. He came to heal your broken heart. He died for your sins. He's willing to forgive you all your sins. He's willing to give, you, to give you peace. His mission is to preach to the poor and to heal the brokenhearted. But notice something else, to preach deliverance to the captives. Now, who are the captives? Well, the captives are those that Satan holds prisoner. Are you captive today? Is Satan holding you prisoner in some way? Satan has many captives. John 8, verse 34 says, Whosoever committed sin is a servant of sin. Captive of the devil. Serving the devil. Listen to Romans chapter 6, verse 16. God's word says this. Know ye not 
that to whom you yield yourselves servants to obey, his servants you are to whom you obey, whether of sin unto death or whether obedience unto righteousness. You're either a servant of the devil or a servant of God. You're either a servant of unrighteousness or a servant of righteousness. If Satan has compelled you to serve him, then you have become his pimp. But I got some good news. You can be set free. Christ came to release you from your bondage to sin, from your enslavement to sin. He preached, he came to deliver the captives. But notice something else. He came to give sight to the blind. Now, he was concerned about all types of blindness. He was concerned about physical blindness. Matthew 9, verse 30 tells about two blind men standing by a roadside, and they heard Jesus coming. They heard he was in the area. Then they heard him coming, and they cried out, Son of David! Have mercy on us. Jesus restored their sight. He was concerned about physical blindness. He was concerned about, now listen, moral blindness. Moral blindness. Blindness to drug addiction. Blindness to drunkenness. You know some people justify those and say that it's okay. You know why they do that? They're they're blind Morally. Could be blinded spiritually. But they're blinded morally. Blinded to profanity. Blinded to immorality. I'm going to tell you what. There's some blinded to immodesty. Let me just pull away just for a moment. And I say with this with all the love I can, parents... But it's your parental duty as a godly parent to make sure your teenager or teenagers dress modestly. I've never asked anyone who came to church to go home and change clothes, but I came real close recently. And I hear all the time, it don't matter what you wear to church. Yes, it does if it's immodest. You don't have to be immodest when you come to church. If you do, you bring disgrace to the Lord Jesus. Think of that. Spiritual blindness. Concerned about spiritual blindness. Physical blindness. Moral blindness. Then the spiritual blindness. That's the worst type of blindness at all, of all. It's worse than physical. It's worse than moral because it's the root of all immoral behavior. Spiritual blindness. Because one cannot see the greatest of all truths that there is a God. Spiritually blind. There's there's this thick darkness where one becomes so blind to the truth that there is a God. And that they're responsible to Him. Friend, listen. If you don't see that, then you suffer from the worst blindness of all. Because Jesus Christ came that you might be healed of your spiritual blindness. Then I'll close with this. 
He wants to set at liberty those that are bruised. Well, all of us know what it is to have a bruise. Have you ever had a stone bruise? Oh, my goodness. Those things hurt. We've suffered a stone bruise. All of us know about having a bruise. The word bruise there means to crush. I mean, a, a flower can be bruised, a flower can be crushed, and today some of you have been bruised. You've been crushed. You've been, you know, you have, you've been crushed with different types of problems, family problems, marital problems, health problems. Your reputation may have even been crushed. But Jesus wants to give you freedom. He wants to set you at liberty, those who have been crushed. He wants to take your suffering and replace all of that suffering, all that crushing that you've experienced with his grace and his mercy and his promises. He wants to set at liberty those that have been crushed. So there's a custom in verse 16. There's a mission in 17 through 18. There's a conclusion. Look at verse 19. The conclusion's found in verse 19. To preach the acceptable year of the Lord. 2015. That's an acceptable year of the Lord. It's a space of time. It simply means that there's a space of time that God permits those who would repent and turn to Him. They would have that opportunity. This is your acceptable time. That space of time that God's blessed you with today to turn to Him. So God gives to the poor an opportunity to receive from Him. God gives to the brokenhearted, those that are brokenhearted over your life, a chance to be healed. He gives to those who are captive those who have been servants of sin. He gives to those who are blind that they might see Him and that they're responsible to Him. And He sees those that have been bruised and crushed by life and wants to give you His grace and His mercy and all of His promises. He has a mission. Let's bow our heads for a prayer. Heavenly Father, thank You for an opportunity we have to come into Your house today and to worship You. Now, thank you for a time of decision. I lift up each person here this, this morning. And I pray for those, Father, in who you came to minister to. Thank you for my salvation, the freedom that I feel from having been saved. Thank you for being there for me, Lord, when, when I didn't know where the rent was going to come from. I didn't know where my seminary tuition was going to come from. Those things that I needed in my life. Lord, you have in the past and you have in the present, and I'm sure you will in the future, provide for me again. I thank you for that. I thank you, Lord, for, for reaching down in your mercy and grace and taking care of a crushed person because of sin in my life. And I pray for every person here today. And God, I pray that in this invitation, this is your invitation, you're extending this invitation, that people will come as they're drawn by your Holy Spirit to give their heart and their life to you. All categories, no doubt, Father, are here this morning. And may they respond to your tender mercy and grace. And we make this prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Here's gonna...